Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. How can we reduce sexual harassment? Claire Kane Miller. It's everyone's responsibility to prevent harassment. So right away, you get out of this mold where there's a harasser and a victim. Now it's everybody's responsibility. And what that does is it really creates a culture where harassment can't even start. And if it does start, it's stopped. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, one year ago, there was the massive women's march in Washington. Then the extraordinary reaction to the Harvey Weinstein scandal and greater prominence for Me Too and now Time's Up. And then Oprah Winfrey said this at the Golden Globes. For too long, women have not been heard or believed if they dared to speak their truth to the power of those men. But their time is up. It sounds like a turning point with demands for sexual harassment to finally stop. But in offices and other workplaces around the country, will there really be dramatic change? Are employer-based training efforts to prevent sexual harassment actually working? Is change underway? So far, the results are not that encouraging. Journalist Claire Kane Miller writes about gender, families, and the future of work for The Upshot, a New York Times site for analyses of policy and economics. Claire joins us via Skype from Portland, Oregon. Thanks for being on How Do We Fix It? Thanks for having me. So first, Claire, let's look at sexual harassment in the workplace and the extent of it. Uh, According to surveys, and, and this surprised me, but then I'm a guy, nearly half of women say they've experienced some form of sexual harassment at work and at least once in their careers. Yes, and it especially happens when you start naming the behaviors. If you ask women if they've experienced harassment about a quarter say yes. And then if you say, have you experienced these things? And then you name specific behaviors that qualify as harassment, that share doubles to half of women. I mean, this is the range of things from crude jokes that make for an uncomfortable workplace all the way to, you know, quid pro quo for sexual favor, some of the things we've been hearing about with Harvey Weinstein and others. So there's a legal standard for sexual harassment, isn't there? And how does that work exactly? Well, the legal standard um, is that you could either have a toxic work environment or um, you could have a quid pro quo when you have this trade of things. Um, It's also measured um, by either severity or frequency. So severity can be, you know, one single thing happens, but it is very severe. Right. 
but it can also be that something happens quite often and it can be much less severe. Yeah, it keeps happening enough to make the environment really, really horrible. Could you give me an example? You know, making um, comments about a coworker's appearance constantly, making sexual jokes, hanging something up in your cubicle that makes people uncomfortable. If these kinds of things are happening frequently enough, then that legally counts as harassment. Do we know much about the wrongdoers, who they are, how many men are involved? So we recently did at the Times a nationally representative survey of men, and we found um, that about a third of men say they had done something wrong in the past year. And by wrong, I mean qualifying as sexual harassment or, you know, objectionable behavior in a sexual way. This um, included everything from telling sexual jokes or stories, which was, you know, much more common than some of the other things like um, offering rewards for sexual behavior, those kinds of things only one or 2% of men had done. But regardless, it's a lot of men, and I think we can probably assume that these numbers are a little low considering we took a lot of steps to make sure that people weren't lying and that they were comfortable telling the truth in this survey. It was anonymous, and we took a bunch of other steps, but you know, we can still assume that people probably aren't comfortable admitting bad behavior. So when we talk about sexual harassment in the workplace, everyone has the same answer. You know, We need more training. But some of the work that you've done, you've looked into a wide range of investigations of this and said it's not so simple. The training that companies do is pretty bad. I think a lot of us have experience with it. It's either sitting in a lecture where people aren't really paying attention or it's clicking through a PowerPoint to check a box that you did this for HR purposes and you're not really paying attention. You're just clicking through. And the reason companies do this is because The legal requirement is not that they prevent harassment. The legal requirement is that they have anti-harassment regulations and that they inform employees of them. So that's what they do. They inform employees of them. And if they say, oh, but we had all these people check this box and take this PowerPoint, it's not really our fault that they continue to harass. Then the companies have an easier time getting off the hook. Well, specifically, Um, what what are some examples of sexual harassment training workshops that, that don't work? Specifically, the ones which are the most common, they are either a lecture and often these lectures are very legal in that they talk about harassers and victims. And one of the reasons they backfire is nobody really wants to consider themselves a harasser or a victim. So when they speak in that language, people either tune it out or it makes them very uncomfortable. And so they go and make jokes afterwards. That's not very effective. Um, And another thing researchers have found is that by describing, again, this legal setup where a man is a perpetrator and a woman is this powerless victim, that it actually reinforces these stereotypical gender roles. So employees who, you know, are surveyed later have more entrenched views about these stereotypes of men being in control and women being powerless than they did before they entered the training, which is obviously not helpful in terms of preventing harassment, which is often based on power. Do you think that sexual harassment is part of a, of a broader problem of, of bullying? I think it's part of a broader problem of bullying for sure, but I think um, that is the, there's gender bullying that exists that is because there are these deep structural issues that women are second-class citizens. And I think there's a lot we can do to 
address harassment and make sure people are not misbehaving in that way. But unless we start addressing some of these these deeper issues and make women equal to men, that the bigger problem of this gender bullying won't go away. You recently wrote a column about the sexual harassment training programs that are used in corporate America and how they often don't work very well. But you also had a lot of suggestions for approaches that that do work, at least work better. Can you walk us through a few of those? Sure. The one that I found the most interesting because it's been proven in research in the military and on college campuses and places where it's already being used is called bystander training. And essentially, it's everyone's responsibility to prevent harassment. So right away, you get out of this mold where there's a harasser and a victim. Now it's everybody's responsibility. And what that does is it really creates a culture where harassment can't even start. And if it does start, it's stopped. And it sounded a little bit intimidating to me when I first heard, like, who is going to be brave enough to go into a conversation, especially if it's a powerful man, and stop it? But that's really not what it's about. It's much smaller things. So what are some of the kinds of things someone could say if they witness something like this happening in front of them in their workplace? One thing they can say to break up the situation in the moment is, I'm going to go grab coffee. Will you come with me? Or you could go and interrupt the victim and say, you know what? Someone needs you in the conference room right now. And you make that up. That's not true. But what it does is it removes her from the situation. A very important thing later is to talk to the victim alone and say, I heard what he said. And are you okay? And maybe the person is. If they're not, then you can say something like, I would be happy to walk to HR with you. Um, Because a lot of times victims just feel very alone. Another piece is talking to colleagues about it. So experts said that a big part of building a culture is making sure that this isn't secretive. So that means saying, I heard what he said earlier. Did you guys hear that? I thought that was completely inappropriate. Did you agree? In your column, you mentioned a viral video about someone who's been dubbed Snack Man as an example of how someone might disrupt a difficult exchange. Tell us that story. Yes, a man was on the subway in New York a few years ago, and it was a fight between two people. Um, I, I don't think it was a sexual harassment thing, but it was an assault kind of fight. And he stood in between them and ate chips very loudly. (laughs) And he didn't even say anything, but it was distracting. So they started paying attention to that instead. And it just disrupts the dynamic. So, Uh, And um, and this person did this deliberately? Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm in Portland where there was a similar situation um, last year on a train here in which somebody was saying racist things and two bystanders intervened. And one of them ended up you know, getting severely, severely injured because of intervening. And we want to keep the bystanders safe. And so that's why they suggest doing something like dropping a book or eating loudly or saying, oh, look at this thing that I just read on Twitter, where you're not necessarily overtly confronting the harasser or the abuser, but instead you're just distracting everyone from the situation that's happening. Finally, if you do wish to confront the perpetrator, which, again, many people said, don't do that unless you feel completely safe doing it, but do it alone, privately. And they said, don't use the word harassment. That puts people on the defense. Instead, say something like, I heard what you said to her. Why did you do that? And it's more about starting the conversation and calling attention to the behavior. Other ideas around solutions coming up. We're speaking with journalist Claire Kane Miller, who writes about gender, families, and the future of work for the upshot of the New York Times. And we're How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meg. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Claire, the first solution that you mentioned is having training programs that empower the bystander, giving everyone the tools to reduce or prevent harassment. Uh, what's another one? I know that you mentioned encouraging civility. It sounds really basic, but in fact, a lot of people in workplaces don't have it. And um, the federal government is really encouraging this widely. It's everything from, you know, don't multitask during conversations. If someone comes up to your cubicle and starts talking to you at work, don't look at your phone while they're talking to them. It makes them feel disrespected. It's really small things like that, all the way to things like if someone says something that makes you feel uncomfortable, This kind of training provides you with a script for how to address that in the moment. And everyone can sort of learn from that and move on. Um, Or it's things like spotlighting contributions by people who are marginalized. So one thing we know a lot is that men tend to interrupt in meetings more often than women and that they tend to take credit for ideas that women have already stated in a meeting that, that might not have been heard as loudly. And so it's something like saying, oh, you know, she just raised that same idea. I'd like to hear more from her on that. So it's things like that that are basically about making sure that your coworkers feel respected. And I think what this all really gets to is how to create a culture where, you know, people respect each other and don't harass each other. And it's as simple as that. Great. You mentioned uh, when someone approaches your desk uh, looking up from your phone. I was always amazed when I worked in a large newsroom that I would get emails from people about two desks away rather than that person sort of getting up and saying, hi, what about this? Yes, that's absolutely true. That happens to me too. Or, or, you know, you'll be sitting in a meeting and I'll look around and everyone's looking at their phone and I'm like, is anyone listening in this meeting? <laughs> and, right, right. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, interaction where we have a lot of chances to build respect that maybe people aren't using those. So could you talk about why it's important to, uh, to report wrongdoing? About a quarter to a third of women who experience harassment report it. That means the vast majority don't report it and nothing gets done about it. And the reasons that they don't um, are very good reasons. They fear retaliation, which often does happen. They fear that they're alone. They fear that they could lose their job. And so there are some interesting ways to try to encourage reporting. One idea, which seems counterintuitive, is to reward managers when they increase sexual harassment reporting in their department, at least for a short time. Of course, you don't want harassment to to go on and on. But 
The idea is that if managers are making employees feel comfortable reporting and know that action will be taken and that they will be supported, then it's a better environment. So rewarding managers for that. Another idea, which comes from a Yale law professor, which I thought was interesting, is called an information escrow. So we know that women often feel uncomfortable reporting if they are on their own, but because no one's talking about it, they have no idea if they're alone in this. Probably they're not. And so the idea is that you file a time-stamped complaint, but it's only to be opened and acted upon if another employee in the company files a complaint against the same accuser. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting way to um, get a, a group of women together um, in an environment where people might not feel comfortable talking about it. Different workplaces are really different. Do we need different types of training for, say, a restaurant versus a law firm? Absolutely. The researchers I talked to said one of the most important things is that training has to be really, really tailored to the organization. And that means that even in one company, senior managers get different training than the most junior employees because obviously they are in a different situation. Um, You can't even take a college campus training and transport it to another college campus because they have different environments. And like you said, a law firm will be very different from a restaurant or a construction site. And so what it requires, which is a lot of work but is important, is for the trainers to go and do a bunch of interviews about the culture, about, you know, management, about, um, you know, how a place, how a workplace runs, and then go and develop a training that is tailored for that place instead of making a one-size-fits-all program that's brought into different places. Some training sessions, you've said, don't show signs of working, but is one answer to, to train more often? to have more sessions. Yeah, so one of the problems is that people do this once a year or even worse, only when someone's hired and never again. And, um, and researchers say, first of all, that trainings need to be really intensive, like four hours long, in-person, interactive, not something that you just click through online, but also that it needs to happen much more often. It's not like you need to go to four-hour sessions every month, but the way it happens is that just comes up all the time. So if you are starting a new initiative, a new marketing initiative, say, at your company, someone should bring up the question, okay, well, how are we going to make sure that there's a diverse team working on this? And how are we going to make sure that we show this new client respect? You know, these kinds of questions just should come up all the time, where it's a topic that you talk about quite often instead of a topic that you just talk about once and check a box. And and then that kind of leads into another suggestion, which is hiring more women leaders. So yes, research has shown that when there are more women at the top, there is less sexual harassment. And it's not just because there are fewer men in power to harass, but it's also um, that there is a different level of respect for women in the company, that women at the top have been shown to promote and um, give raises to, ask to hear in meetings from younger women. And there is less pressure to make a very masculine, sexualized atmosphere. There's been some research that men often feel the need to go along with some of this kind of sexual joking, even if they're not comfortable with it. And if there are more women at the table, that doesn't happen. So um, having women at the top really just makes a ton of difference from harassment to pay to promotions to representation of women all around. Speaking of your reporting, Claire, what have you learned about gender in the workplace? Have your views changed? One thing I've learned is that the stereotypes are a lot more entrenched than I think I fully realized. So I've done a lot of reporting, for example, on the pay gap. And 
What I found is while the pay gap has shrunk, it's really not closed all the way. And the low-hanging fruit, that has been taken care of, and it seems like an intractable problem. And for example, I've also done reporting on millennial men. Millennial men have much more egalitarian views than previous generations. They intend to share household and child care duties equally um, with their wives when they're in opposite sex relationships. They expect both people's careers to be equally important. And then when babies arrive, it all sort of goes out the window and they kind of revert to traditional roles. And it's not because they want to, but because, you know, the workplace is just not set up at this point for um, two worker families, even though the majority of families do have two parents that work. So, you know, one thing that has surprised me is even though Americans' attitudes are changing in a lot of ways, the rest of society is not changing quite as quickly, which can make some of these problems seem pretty intractable. Although with what we've seen with the harassment reporting in the last couple months, there is evidence that things can change quickly once people start caring about them. Are there things that we could learn from other countries? A lot of the Scandinavian countries have much more gender equality than we do. And some of the things that are interesting are, for example, not just offer men paternity leave, because what we know in America is that even when men are offered paternity leave, they don't take it. And when you ask them why, they say, well, my workplace doesn't actually like condone it. They offer it. It's on the books. But if I took it, everyone would think I was a less committed worker. And they're right because, you know, there's been a lot of research that men who do take paternity leave or who, you know, leave work once in a while for pediatrician appointments or basically act like a traditional mother, they do get docked in pay and promotion. So they're right. And so what they did in Scandinavian countries where they were having the same issue, instead they required men to take it. And they said two parents have, say, 52 weeks of leave and each parent can only take half of that amount. And if the other parent doesn't want to, well, then your leave is up. And what happened is that men started taking more leave. And it's become completely normal to see men on the playground or not working during the day in Scandinavian countries as a result. And and as a result, marriages and households are much more egalitarian. Um, but I will point out that it's not all super ideal. For example, in a lot of European countries where there is more gender equity, Women are also much less likely to reach senior levels of companies than they are in the United States. They're much more likely to work part-time um, or to be stuck at junior levels of companies. Um, so, you know, there, there are some things that, that we either are doing right or that are trade-offs that you have to make um, when you do allow this kind of flexibility. It can also stunt women's career development. So it, it's difficult to point to anybody who is, who has really figured it out. You know, speaking of the trade-offs, you did a really interesting column a while back about how this new culture of being more responsive to sexual harassment has also had certain kind of pernicious influences at certain companies, including tech companies, where some of the senior men are actually very reluctant to get close to some of their female subordinates, to be mentors, to do the kinds of social bonding that are very common in the workplace generally and that often help junior people get ahead. That's right. It's one of the things I'm most worried about in terms of ramifications of this. Back when Mike Pence made those comments last year about how he does not have any meetings or any one-on-one -on -one interactions with a woman alone who is not his wife, 
we were really surprised by that. And so we did a national poll and we found out that actually a lot more men than we expected follow that rule. And it's not just in social settings. It's also at work, avoiding work meetings with women that are one-on-one. And um, I looked at that issue again after the harassment stories broke and found out that even more men are trying to take that approach. They're saying, you know, this environment has become so dangerous. I don't want to be accused. I don't want to misstep. And so instead, I'm just going to avoid meeting with women altogether. But what we know is that those kinds of meetings are really essential for women's careers. The way um, that you really get ahead is obviously by doing good work, but it's also by having these kinds of relationships. So when there's a meeting and someone says, oh, who should we put on this big project? If the men in the meeting don't know you as a you know more junior woman, no one's going to suggest your name. But if they do have a relationship with you, then you're going to be top of mind. Um, They call this sponsorship, which is different than mentorship, which is more about advice. Sponsorship is about really knowing someone's work, knowing them, and as a result, being willing to put your own reputation on the line to promote someone more junior. It's really, really essential to um, progressing in your career. And I think it's pretty scary that some men are saying that they are just going to avoid developing those relationships altogether, when, of course, that doesn't solve the problem of harassment either. <laughs> but it's a protective move on their part. It's a protective move. But if you think about it, those probably aren't the men who are going to harass anyway. I don't think Harvey Weinstein was avoiding one-on-one time with women. In fact, he was <laughs> going out of his way to make sure that he had it. I think, you know, it's not that hard to behave. And if your way to behave is to avoid meeting with women Altogether, it seems like there are different ways to do it, perhaps better ways like having the meeting and just keeping your hands to yourself. <laughs> you, you know, you just yeah, said right. something you just said something that, that I think is a great note to wrap up on. It's not that hard to behave. Uh, you know, it does take a certain culture where offhand jokes and stuff are are not encouraged. I mean, there are ways that people can be offensive that they may not even deliberately realize it. But those cultures can be changed with good leadership and, and training. That's right. And, and all the more reason to mentor young women and help them rise up to the top of companies um, so that they're in leadership and this isn't happening anymore. Right. Claire Kane Miller, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Richard, what I like about Claire's thinking on this is she's really looking at the research to see what works. So often when there's a problem, even people we've had on this show, it's like, well, let's do X to fix the problem without spending enough time saying, let's study X and make sure it's working. Exactly. I mean, there have been a lot of platitudes spoken Mm -hmm. since the Harvey Weinstein scandal about how awful and widespread and wrong sexual harassment in the workplace is. But this is more practical and constructive than anything I've heard uh, in the the past few months. Some actual concrete things. Very pragmatic, very results-oriented, and with some real tangible advice as opposed to just everybody needs to be better. They do, but that's usually not enough. People need tools to fight these problems. And some of the tools to fight those problems we'll have links to on our website, howdowefixit.me. But I want to push back on one thing. As a lot of listeners know, I've been editor of a number of different magazines. And in that role, 
you know, you're responsible for setting the workplace culture. And most companies have something like she described it as a PowerPoint you click through, or it's an online tutorial. So of a questionnaire you answer. Yeah, and they give you various different scenarios, and should you handle it like this or that? And then you answer, no, that's wrong. You should do X or Y. Maybe those don't work that well overall, but I actually found them kind of helpful, not in preventing me from being a total jerk, um, but, but, in, but just being more constructive. And, but and, well, and how do you handle situations where somebody comes to you, you're a manager, or you observe something happening on your staff, and you need to step in and adjust it? But there are certain ways to do it that are more helpful. There are certain legal responsibilities you have. You might think you're a good manager, and you're pretty good at handling things without causing a big confrontation. But you know what? Sometimes you actually have to alert HR that something happened. There's something happened on your team that they need to know about. So knowing the rules, I actually thought was helpful. Yeah, I'm sure there's much better programs, but uh, but even these fairly crude things, I do think help give help give managers the tools to, to recognize, oh, this isn't just a fuzzy little issue you can you can shrug off. You actually need, you have, there are certain steps you need to take to deal with that. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. The music is by Lou Stravinsky. We're a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at our website, daviescontent.com. Thanks for listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.